We have an update regarding the Idaho quadruple slains, and the dad calls the cops a coward. The Delphi defendant wants money for expert witnesses. We bring you an example of what can happen when you try to take things from people that don't belong to you. A trial in California involves jurors deciding whether it's a homicide or natural causes. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day who is truly felony stupid. Let's talk about it. Welcome, my name is Scott Reich and this is Crime Talk. You know the drill, subscribe if you haven't, like if you do, hit that little bell so you receive notifications when we go live or put up new content, and always leave me a comment below. All right, you know the drill as well, support the sponsors that support Crime Talk. Like many Americans, we got a dog during the pandemic. My quarantine dog, Miss Winnie the Bulldog. Now, Miss Winnie has grown accustomed to being around us all the time. When we were leaving the house, Winnie would have extreme anxiety, so we decided to look for natural products to help with her anxiety. We looked for the highest quality CBD treats, and we were not satisfied, and neither was Winnie. So we created a high quality CBD product that absorbs faster and provides the required results faster. Baked in Colorado CBD treats and beverage enhancers are made with nanotechnology. The nanotechnology makes the CBD extraction more pure, also allows for Baked in Colorado products to work faster. Baked in Colorado products can help reduce your pet's anxiety, ease joint pain, and help with your dog's skin problems. Go to our online store and see what Baked in Colorado product is best for your dog. When you order at bakedincolorado.com, enter code WINNIE and receive 15% off your first order. We have a 30-day money-back guarantee. If your dog does not experience the desired results in 30 days, return the product and we will refund your money. No questions asked. All right, let's go ahead and open the record for December 12th, 2022. Now, first, as most people know, Kaylee Gonsalves, her best friend, Madison Mogan, Zaina Kernodal, and her boyfriend, Ethan Chapin, were slaughtered in the early morning hours of November 13th in their rental home near the University of Idaho campus. Now, the family of one of the four University of Idaho victims killed in the home invasion attack last month is looking to raise reward money for information regarding the case and the investigation as it now hits its fourth week without an arrest or anyone being identified as a possible suspect. To raise the funds, the family is supporting a pair of online fundraisers, a GoFundMe set up by Gonsalves' former boss, Jeremiah Shea, and a Give, Send, Go campaign from a family friend named Brooke Miller, Christy Gonsalves, uh, as, as uh, stated for the family. Now, the money raised will go directly to getting answers as well as helping to pay for uh, Kaylee's final arrangements and her celebration of life on December 30th. Now, the family had previously held off on announcing any sort of memorial plans, but obviously have changed their mind. When asked about the lack of reward on Saturday, police simply said, hey, we have enough tips. We have a steady supply of information in this case. We don't really need any more. Okay, I'm paraphrasing a little bit of the last part of that, but you get the drift. Now, the father of Kaylee Gonsalves um, has stated that the victims, quote, had big gouges that were clearly the work of a sadistic male and called police cowards for not sharing more information with the public. Stephen Gonsalves said he asked the coroner, Kathy Mabut, about 
how many times the victims were stabbed. She said, quote, Sir, I don't think stab is the right word. It was like tears, like this was a strong weapon, not like a stab. She apparently said these were big open gouges. She said it was quick. These weren't things where you would be able to call 911. They were going to bleed out slowly, Mr. Gonsalves said. His daughter's injuries definitely did not match Mogan's wounds. They may have individually died from the same thing, being stabbed, but there are more details he stressed. He stated that their injuries are not even close to matching. Now, the knife apparently slashed open Kaylee Gonsalves' liver and her lungs, according to her father. And according to the coroner, his daughter and Mogan were ambushed in their sleep and they were found in the same bed. Gonsalves surmised that they died in Mogan's bedroom on the third floor because there are photos of Kaylee's room with no blood on the bed. Now, although the coroner told Gonsalves that the victims died quickly and did not suffer, he said that he is not convinced of that. According to Gonsalves, Canodal who had defenses wound and shapen were found in the second floor of the residence. It apparently was a hell of a battle going on down there from what the coroner has explained to the family. The coroner told him that the perpetrator was a strong individual, but police have yet to identify the suspect's gender. Mr. Gonsalves also said that he got outraged by them not just coming out and saying this was a woman or a man because they should know by now the amount of strength it took to deliver the injuries. They're just being cowards. There's girls walking around the street right now that deserve to know. They shouldn't, they should be on the lookout for a sadistic male. Now, police also said in a statement that they will not comment on or release specific details of the crime. It is what we must do to preserve the integrity of the investigation, said Robbie Johnson, the public information officer of the Moscow Police Department. We want more than an arrest. We want justice. It takes time to do things correctly. Johnson said that the police are encouraging good safety practices in general and are not focusing on a specific threat to the community. Like I said, police have yet to name a suspect or a person of interest publicly, but no offer of a reward has some people speculating that there is a potential suspect. But as we have seen thus far, speculation regarding this case is rampant since the police have been tight-lipped other than a specific plea for information about the white Hyundai Elantra. Now, online sleuths continue to raise questions about a student who interacted with two of the victims at a food truck and the roommates who slept through the killings. Online threats have uh, police considering criminal charges against those crossing the line. Now, with an unsolved case, online speculation will continue to run wild. On TikTok, videos with the hashtag Idaho murders have almost 215 million views. A subreddit dedicated to the case has over 43,000 members who are apparently analyzing just about everything about the case and any new development. And a few days after the attack, video emerged of Madison Mogan and Kaylee Gonsalves at a food truck just hours before they were killed. Armchair detectives immediately honed in on a hooded man that can be seen in the footage, publicizing his name and digging into his social media accounts. Police were flooded with questions about the man's alibi, but that individual has since been cleared by the police. So far, investigators have revealed they've collected about 113 pieces of physical evidence from the scene. That's the problem with internet detectives. 
They're working off incomplete information, according to police. In some cases, information crowdsourcing online has been useful. Just last year, amateur social media sleuths helped solve the Gabby Petito case. After weeks of mystery, YouTubers Jen and Kyle Bethune found video of a white van they caught on their camera during a trip to Wyoming's Grand Teton National Park. The van matched the description of the one Petito and Brian Laundrie were traveling in. They gave the footage to the FBI, and days later, authorities found Petito's body near where the van had been spotted in the footage. In another case that drew international attention, Everyday Internet Sleuths helped bring convicted murderer Luca Magnata to justice. The 2019 Netflix docuseries Don't F With Cats showed the power of amateur detectives in the Magnata case. However, citizen detectives have made mistakes. For example, they misidentified 22-year-old Sunil Tripathi as a suspect in the Boston Marathon bombing. Tripathi's family, who had been looking for Sunil after the disappearance, after his disappearance a month earlier, was inundated with phone calls and hateful messages. Tripathi was later found deceased. Authorities determined that he had taken his own life. But the line between internet sleuthing and unwarranted harassment is, well, it's thin. The law and prosecutors bind professional investigators, and they must prove their case in a court of law. And oftentimes, armchair detectives have no such obligation and are often, let's say, reckless in their rush to judgment. Online attention can also add to the noise, bind investigators tasked with sifting through information, even all that more arduous. Now, as of Monday, Detectives have received more than 2,645 email tips, 2,770 phone tips, and 1,084 digital media submissions related to the Idaho stabbings. Now, everyone has an opinion and wants to come out and say it. So, so what that does is it detracts from the public's ability to trust the information that is out there. That's according to the Moscow Police Department. We want to be the source. Now, remember, ladies and gentlemen, I am a firm believer in the internet sleuthing community. I believe that they can come up with lots of information that the police neither have the time nor the um, resources to conduct. But remember, it has to be legal and competent evidence that's going to be used in a court of law to obtain a conviction. And you just can't say anything about anyone because today you think that they did it. I have had people call my office and actually want to talk about this case and other cases. And you know what they say? Well, it's because I just got this gut feeling. Gut feelings are not evidence, ladies and gentlemen. You have to have real concrete evidence to obtain an arrest warrant and ultimately a conviction, which is going to be able to stand up to the burden of proof of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And remember, 99% of all these people are not public figures. And if you go accusing someone of committing a heinous crime and you're wrong, guess what? you could be sued for defamation. So the public can gather information, but it needs to go to the police if they actually want to help the investigation. 
All right, next on the docket, Richard Allen's attorney. That's right, the Delphi suspect. Well, they are making expert requests. Now, his attorneys asked the court for funding to hire experts to help bolster their case and obviously to help make sure that they are effective in the representation of Mr. Allen. And this is going to be filed ex parte and sealed so that the prosecution doesn't have any idea as to what is taking place. That's completely normal, okay? Now, normally, if there's an office of a public defender in a state, the public defender would represent somebody unless there is a conflict. And then at that point, they would, the court would then appoint a private attorney or two to represent somebody given the nature of the case. However, in this particular case, and I'm not going to say I'm completely familiar with the Indiana uh, public defender system, if one exists, or whether they simply just appoint private attorneys to represent somebody if there is a serious enough case or if there is a potential conflict. Either way, it doesn't matter. The point is when you have private counsel, the court will often hold the purse strings for the court. In Colorado, it's completely different. We have what we call the Office of the Alternate Defense Counsel, and that agency is kind of like a secondary public defender's office where appointed attorneys um, are given the approval and kind of the stamp of a seal of approval by the Office of the Alternate Defense Counsel to represent individuals, not just anybody can do it. It is still at significantly uh, lower hourly rates than what one would obtain as a private attorney. But if you're doing basically trying to give back, it's a way to help individuals. But in the case in Indiana, the court is going to hold the purse strings. So it's not like the court just gives Mr. Allen's attorneys a bunch of money and says, go spend it. They have to make specific requests. This is the individual we'd like to retain. These are the reasons why. This is the nature of the work that we want to have conducted and the expert and their qualifications. And then a request as to the dollar amount requested and the time that the expert would need to uh, complete their work and hence resulting in a bill. The court will then ultimately give the thumbs up or the thumbs down. 99.9% .9 of the time, the court's going to find that it is an appropriate request because everyone is entitled to a defense. And if you are indigent and in custody, guess what? The court gets to pay for it. That's just the way it is. Now, obviously, we're not going to find out a whole lot more information because obviously there is still a gag order, which prohibits all parties involved in this case from speaking about the case publicly. And this is an interesting case. Obviously, it relates back to the Delphi murders, but we have Mr. Allen, a 50-year-old married man, father, pharmacy technician who worked at the local CVS store in the same town where obviously these alleged murders uh, uh, took place or were nearby. He's denied any involvement in the other girl's death, and he's obviously pled not guilty. And there's some interesting things about this Delphi case. It's never been revealed how exactly Libby and Abby were killed, though the two girls' bodies were reportedly posed and items of clothing had been taken from them apparently as trophies. If you recall the FBI affidavit when they were zooming in on another suspect. It's going to be an interesting case and the defense should get the resources they need to zealously represent Mr. Allen. That's the best way for the truth to come out in our adversarial system. The prosecution makes an allegation, they have to prove it, 
and then the greatest truth-seeking tool ever created. That's right, cross-examination, where somebody has to state under oath what the evidence is, what they saw, what they believe it to be, comes in. And sometimes it's not as clear as one side purports it to be on both sides. All right, next, let's give an example of why we don't take things from other people. All right, I have a real... I have a real problem with people that like to take things from other people. You know, if it's not yours, just like when you walk into a store, you look with your eyes, not your hands, right? Don't touch other people's things. So a suspected carjacker was shot and killed by a woman with his own gun in Las Vegas after he left it on the seat while trying to steal her vehicle. Now, Jalen Morrison has now been taken into custody in connection with the homicide. It's believed he was involved in trying to steal the car of the two women waiting to go to a party. While the women were sitting in the car on November 19th, another vehicle pulled up and attempted to block their path. Three men with guns then jumped out of an intersection of Coleman Street and West San Miguel Avenue. One of the men dragged out the women who was sitting in the driver's seat before getting into the car and attempting to flee. At the time, the suspect had also placed his gun on his lap while trying to take control of the car, but the woman said she took it from him. Seconds later, she was tackled from behind by one of the men. She then turned towards her attacker and fired at least one bullet at him. The victim said that she was also being shot at while she was on the ground. She managed to get away and hid in the yard in the surrounding area. While she was in hiding, she heard a person yelling that their friend had been shot. The woman only came out of hiding once police had arrived at the scene. The man died from the gunshot wounds and police said the victim had begun shooting out of self-defense. I totally agree. Cops also came to arrest Morrison after being tipped off that the dead carjacker had been hanging out with the 18-year-old prior to being killed. Detectives later identified Morrison as a suspect in the carjacking after his cell phone GPS records indicated that he had been at the crime scene coincidentally exactly at the same time that it happened. Now, Mr. Morrison has refused to speak with detectives following his apprehension, which is obviously his constitutional right to do so, and three guns were found in the teen's apartment at the time of his arrest. Another man staying with Mr. Morrison at the time of his arrest was also taken into custody. That individual told law enforcement that he had been in the car with Morrison at the time of the carjacking. Ooh, bad, bad admission. That's right, going to prison. Mr. Morrison is being held behind bars on $50,000 bail, and he's booked into the Clark County Detention Center. He faces charges including first-degree kidnapping, attempted robbery, burglary, and a deadly weapon with conspiracy to commit robbery. And he goes to court again on December 20th. Like I said, I feel very strongly about people taking other people's things. It's just the way it is. You don't do it regardless of how much money you think they have or that you need it more, the reality of it is, is you can't take it because it's not yours. And I think the only way, frankly, we're gonna be able to uh, deter uh, people from taking other people's things, whether it's through shoplifting or something along those lines, is the people that are being robbed are going to have to be able to use 
physical force to stop the people from doing it. We've all seen these videos where people walk in, they load up literally garbage bags full of items and walk out the door and nobody can do anything. And literally companies are facing billions of dollars in losses because the companies can't do anything other than hold the door open for these people to walk out. It's unbelievable. And you know what happens when businesses can't get insurance because the insurance companies won't insure them in the neighborhood that they're in? They shut down and they move to safe communities. Don't take other people's stuff. It's that simple. Now, a California jury is going to have to decide whether it was murder or simply a death by natural causes. That's right. A California woman is on trial for allegedly killing her former stepfather after she discovered naked images of herself on his computer. Now, Jade Jenks, she's now 39, has pled not guilty to the allegations of murder in regards to Thomas Merriman, who was 64. He was found dead January of 2021 at his apartment in Solano Beach, California. According to the district attorney, this was no accident. The district attorney told jurors in his opening statement that this was murder by design. Now, the prosecutors allege that Jenks intentionally gave Merriman an overdose of sleeping pills and strangled him to death after she found naked images of herself on his computer. Now, Jenks and her boyfriend had allegedly taken these images consensually more than a decade ago, and it's not exactly sure how Mr. Merriman, the stepdad, got them on his computer. One of the photos was reportedly um, set as the screensaver for Mr. Merriman. Now, the state alleges that Jenks found the images while she was cleaning the home while Mr. Merriman was in the hospital. Merriman had been divorced from Jenks' mother for several years, but Ms. Jenks still continued to assist him. Now, Jenks is an interior designer and butterfly activist, and she allegedly texted a man about how she overdosed Mr. Merriman. In the text, it stated, I just dosed the hell out of him stopping for whiskey then at Dixieland to stall, LMK. Jenks then texted at about 11.30 a.m. on the day Merriman was released from the hospital, um, the state alleges. In another text, Jenks allegedly referenced hitting Merriman. He's waking up, Jenks allegedly texted. I really don't want to be the one to do this. I'm about to club him on his head as he is waking up. Another text message reads, I can't carry him alone and I can't keep a kicking body in my trunk. Now, Jenks reached out uh, to someone for help and that person notified police the following day. Officers ultimately found Mr. Merriman's body under piles of trash, boxes and blankets inside the residence when they responded there. Now, Mr. Now, Ms. Jenks' defense lawyer, Mark Carlos, stated in his opening statements that his client did not kill her former stepfather, whose death, he said, was a result of alcoholism, bad health, and his own attempt to medicate himself. He stated that the medical examiner will not tell you if this was strangulation. The science does not support strangulation, the defense counsel told the jurors. We'll have to wait and see. Clearly, those text messages, though, someone's going to have to fill in some context uh, to that because it certainly doesn't sound good, that's for sure.
Of course, we'll give her the presumption of innocence like we do everyone that we discuss here on Crime Talk. And uh, that presumption will remain with them unless and until they're convicted in a court of law or plead guilty. All right, finally today, our dumb criminal of the day, a felony stupid. Our dumb criminal of the day is Nicholas Zapate La Madrid. What could he have done to have earned this coveted and highly sought after award among stupid criminals everywhere? One word, robbery. So or, the Orlando Police Department um, said that they began an investigation when a TD uh, bank was robbed by a man wearing a hat that said police. And he had on a pair of sunglasses, really th throwing him off. Such a sneaky little guy, too. And we thought he was dumb. Anyway, the detective said that the uh, teller informed the police that the robber handed her a note with the words assault and money on it before running out after uh, getting the cash. Now, two days later, a Circle K was robbed in a similar fashion. That time, a store clerk was handed a note that said, give me all the money and a pack of 305 100s, please, according to the police. Now, just like before, the suspect in the case was wearing, guess what? A hat that said police. Well, this time, when the officers responded to the scene, who did they find? That's right, Nicholas Zapater La Madrid in front of the store. Orlando police said that the man still had the stolen cigarettes and money on him. And uh, when they began to ask him what he had done, he confessed to the robbery and said he committed the crimes because he was bored. That's right. Bored, ladies and gentlemen. Really, if you're bored, you go clean the garage. You go volunteer to help an elderly neighbor. You know, wash the car. Go for a walk in the park. Walk the dog. But you don't go rob a bank in a store because you're bored. This guy is felony stupid and deserves to go to prison so that society is protected from his felony stupidity. All right, that's all we have for you today. Have a wonderful day, and we'll see you next time on Crime Talk.